0: Everybody, welcome back once again to the Great Scott Podcast. Today, I am joined by media executive, Mr. Stephen LeBlanc. How's it going, Stephen?
1: It is going fantastic, Michael. Thank you for having me.
0: Good, good. Well, I'm sorry about the thunder that you probably heard in the background. It's raining around here, so so sorry about that.
1: Man, it's okay. It's okay. The Royals are doing well. That uh, uh, you'll be you'll, you'll
0: be fine. Uh, finally, yeah, finally. I'm glad to, glad to see they're finally getting things back on track. But yeah, anyway, yeah,
1: so, so, some of us don't forget 2015 that quickly. So uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: we're still celebrating it over here. So
1: <laughs> uh, you, you at least have something to celebrate. We're celebrating 1986.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, anyway, Stephen, what's, what's going on with you? What's been going on?
1: Um, interestingly, I have, uh, for the last uh, year or so, taken kind of an observer's role. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I have uh, four decades of experience as a, um, a, a, a programmer, a researcher, and frankly, what I would call a conduit to um, uh, honesty, and, you know, basically the role of market research is one where y- if you ask the right questions to the right people in the right way, you will get the results that will allow you to make the best decisions. Um, I haven't been in an active position of doing that, but I've been noticing a tremendous amount of movement both organic and political that has happened since then that shows that that skill set is rapidly becoming um, less and less prevalent. And what we're getting now is an industry that is more and more gut-based. Sometimes that's good. A lot of times it's not.
0: Yeah. In what So in what ways have you seen that?
1: Well, I think what I see the most is we've had a migration of a number of traditional uh search and analytic executives combination of emerging acquisitions and frankly pandemic related panic mm-hmm. as well as what seems to be the the way of the streaming services which is they order series uh, without pilots, for the most part. Um, they frequently make these commitments based upon um, internal ownership of, of, uh, of, of property rights. They make it based upon deals that they have with writers who, uh, and, and, and uh, executives who kind of have passions. And because streaming services are largely not held accountable for their audience metrics, because if you're a subscription-based uh, service like a Netflix, it really doesn't matter if anybody watches you. It matters if they continue to pay. Um, there's almost never an accountability for, um, uh, for failure. And because of the business model that's attached, there's almost never a reward for success. Yeah. There's been a commoditization of content where it's designed that anything more than 3 seasons, 30 episodes or so is really not financially viable for a streaming service. So what happens is that you'll get spin-offs, you'll get brand extensions, you'll get a continuity almost similar to the way that movie franchises develop. Right. But you will never get the kind of mass um, episodic count or job stability that you've seen with traditional broadcast series. And so many of those have ended in recent uh, you know months. Uh, you have really, I'd say, a bifurcation. You have shows like Oh, the Law and Order, the Shark Tanks, uh, the Chicago franchises, the NCIS franchises oh, yeah. that have been around a long time. Um, and, you know, they have now are going to make up a disproportionate amount of real estate on broadcast television. Where you're seeing experimentation is in the streaming side. And I'll give you a perfect example that I think your audience will um, um, appreciate the most because I know you have an audience of people that love game shows. Yes. Um, so take a look at the success of a gentleman who I think has saved the industry for this generation named Rob Mills. Okay? Rob started out uh, as a, um, an executive in ABC's uh, Late Night... Um, uh, area in 2015 and he got to take a chance on a spin-off of Family Feud, a celebrity version. Okay. And they ordered it as a summer series. Now, many of your fans will remember that NBC tried the same exact thing with Al Roker a few years earlier when the show was nowhere near as popular and it was a, a even by NBC standards, the crash occurred. So it's not like the idea so, was, was, was brand new or, for that matter, something that had been a, a, away for a while.
0: So what do you think that the difference was between Al Wilker and Steve Harvey? What do you think that uh, has managed to um, be different in that aspect? What, what worked with Steve and what didn't work with Al?
1: I think, I, I think the way to answer that is to look at the differences between the two uh, the two MCs as well as the format that uh, was was in play at the time. Look, I, I'm 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 biased. Al Al and I share the same alma mater. I've gotten to know him, you know, personally and professionally. I think he's you know a very very good at what he does. Oh, I agree. But but Al is I'm going to say this as delicately as I can. He's vanilla ice cream. Um, and Steve is Rocky Road. And I think the format has solidified in its current incarnation under Steve because it plays to the same strengths that Richard Dawson had when the show first started back in the 70s. Okay, you've got a comedian who is very driven by his own personality, who interacts with the contestants, who plays off the comedy, and who plays with the material. And a lot less kissing,
0: too.
1: One more time, sorry?
0: And a lot less kissing as well.
1: Yes, yes, Steve just, uh, you know, does his reactions to the (laughs) camera.
0: Yes,
1: yes, and, and, you know, uh, yes, a lot less kissing, particularly now. So, um, look, um, you know, there's no question that the show is more African-American oriented than it was. I think that's a a statistical reality that more African-Americans watch game shows, uh, certainly on a regular basis, than, um, you know, certainly a younger uh, Caucasian audience. I mean, that's just fact. That's not, you know, anything else. So the the fact that the show has done as well as it has uh, made the opportunity for a celebrity version, which is really not that expensive to do, uh, kind of a no-brainer. And at a time when ABC was experimenting with a lot of other more expensive summer programming, because bear in mind, 2015, you've got you know kind of the the, the real start of the streaming era with, you know, the success of shows like house of cards and Bosch, um, you know, you really started to get, uh, you know, some traction in that world. You also had cable networks still very much aggressively doing original series, the FXs of the world, TNTs, USAs, lifetimes, I can go on and on and on. Uh, So the broadcast networks really wanted to go for what they called a 52-week strategy because what happened is that the cable networks were running their original dramas in the summer. And while there's lower viewing levels, there's still significant viewing opportunity, particularly in prime time. And what happened was you saw all of these cable networks beating the broadcast networks head to head. It was really only live sports that would break through, uh, and you also saw that you know there were shows like The Bachelor and you know uh, you know God God help us The Apprentice that were you know <laughs> doing well in summer cycles, and so you spend less on a game show, you can take more swings. Um, at the plate. And Family Feud in 2015 became the most successful summer series. And it essentially elevated Rob to a much more prominent position in the ABC and Disney family because he achieved the thing that everybody wants, which is maximum ratings for minimum cost.
0: So this was really...
1: yeah go ahead, I'm sorry
0: oh no uh so this is really uh rehab like you say, I mean we really do have Rob to thank for uh for the game shows uh that are currently doing well then
1: there would have there would have not been uh pyramid there would have not been match game there would have not been frankly the response of n b c to you know go a little younger and a little hipper with things like the wall um yeah. You, you you know, and then what's, you know, and then the success that the Summer Fun and Games had was, you know, even more dramatic because that wasn't an island. Now you had three shows that could be promoted, all of which, if you think about it, the youngest one of those shows in terms of its history was 1976. Okay? you You could go back you know, to the 1970s. And you could find stations that were running, you know, uh, in a uh, weeknight checkerboard, Family Feud, Match Game, and Pyramid. And here they are, three shows, you know, with familiar titles that, you know, your parents grew up on, your grandparents grew up on, all put into what I call a combination of retro cool um, uh, shadings. I think that that goes back to, you know, why Family Feud's working, I think, executionally. If you strip away the material, which I know a lot of people complain is too blue, <laughs> uh, and if you strip away Steve Harvey, you've got the same theme, you've got the same game mechanics, you've got a slightly bigger jackpot, but nothing that you would say, is who wants to be a millionaire? It's, it's who wants to be a thousandaire. Yeah. And, you know, but it works because it's familiar. It's, it, you know, we called it comfort food TV, okay? And I think it's fascinating for both an economic as well as a social um, uh, setting that at a time of the pandemic, there are more of these shows than ever, And almost all of them have their roots in some previous incarnation. And I think what's even funnier is that there are shows like Press Your Luck and Card Sharks that, you know, we, we know that there's a business reason why these shows are getting ordered. They're all tied to Fremantle. But if you really look at it, these shows weren't all that successful in their first run. They were remembered fondly. But you know, Press Your Luck ran four years. Yeah. And Hard Sharks ran two cycles of four years. You know, if, you know, you know, unlike Pyramid, unlike Match Game, certainly unlike Feud, these were not shows that had a long history, but they've endured because they're great formats and they can be dressed up in modern clothes. To do well. If you look at you know we already said Steve Harvey. You look at what Alec Baldwin is. Okay, so who was Gene Rayburn? Okay, Gene Rayburn was a radio guy who had had some uh, work on The Tonight Show as a you know as a co-host, and what he did was he got the panel to be themselves and. It was the panel that was the star. Yeah. Well, um, now let's flash forward. Alec Baldwin, you know, is is a, is a comedic actor. You know, he's probably best known for 30 Rock, but he also has a, a, a really strong history as a dramatic actor. So what Alec basically did was he put himself in the role of being uh, the uh the the straight man. Yeah. And, you know, what they've done, I think, really well, is that they found what I call uh current generation cohorts. Okay? If you look at who some of their regulars are, okay, um, you know, you've got a Cheryl Hines being an Elaine Joyce. You've got um a Titus Burgess being, you know, Charles Nelson Riley. Uh God, God love it, you've got Betty White being Betty White. So, you know, and, and when you look at the trapping, it's a supersized version of, this, of, of the original set, the original music, none of the playing around with history. You know, Family Feud went, you know, you know put in new sets, they put in new music, they changed the game around a little bit with the bullseye at one point. Our pyramid with the Donnie Osmond version, uh, what looks like what I call uh, you know pyramid as played by Mad Max. Um yeah. You know match game when it was brought back a couple of times in pilots was unrecognizable. Uh, but when you get right down to um, what worked, it's a glossier version of something familiar that that makes you realize that you're all grown up. And I had the privilege of working very closely on uh, the current version of Pyramid that Michael Strahan's doing. And I've got to tell you, when you walk onto the set in New York and you realize that they're taking the show eight blocks from where it's, from where it's shot in the 1970s, Okay, it's on the west side of Manhattan. And you realize that, you know, you go in there, you hear the same music, you see it supersized with, you know, modern lights and, you know, a a, a larger jackpot, you know, you won $150,000 on one episode, which is 15 times what they gave away in the 70s. And then you look at Strahan, okay, who I... You know, have been fortunate enough to get to know. When you look at his comparison to Dick Clark, and you know, Dick was a radio guy. Yeah, Dick was a guy who knew how to interview. Well, what's Michael's background? Okay, post football, Michael does you know Sunday morning um, you know football commentary, and he did uh, and and he did why? Okay. You know, he is, and, and, and physically, he's obviously a supersized version of, of, of a human being. Yeah. So everything about Pyramid was familiar, yet supersized. Everything about Match Game is familiar, yet supersized. You talk about Press Your Luck, Press Your Luck is familiar, yet supersized. And oh, by the way, Elizabeth Banks looks a hell of a lot better in a short dress than Peter Tomarkin ever did. <laughs> yet at the same time, Here's a show that brings back contestants from 35 years ago. God love them; they are healthy, they are vibrant, and they played that wonderfully. So it's knowing from where you came from, respecting where you came from, and then introducing an entire new generation to it. That's Rob Mills's legacy. So, uh, and it's a success. So now Rob has been given a new position where he's developing content for Hulu as well. Uh, And what you see across the broadcast and streaming landscapes is you're seeing the streaming services become the priorities. The broadcast networks almost becoming secondary windows. And the ability to move concepts from one to the other that will target their respective audiences that much better. You look at what just happened with CBS, okay? CBS is bringing, is, is expanding their C, uh, their NCIS franchise, they're expanding the FBI franchise, they're expanding, uh, they're bringing back CSI. So the, CBS, the law enforcement network then. Yeah, it, well, it's the franchise network. Yeah. NBC is going to do Wednesday night um, Chicago and Thursday Night Law and Order, okay? Very, very simple. So the more ambitious projects of these networks, so shows like Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, okay, which had a very modest broadcast audience but had a very strong uh, streaming audience, uh, you, know, on, you know, on Peacock. Um, well, they're now going to make it for Peacock. Um, CBS is uh, taking uh, Clarice, Clarice, uh, which was a similar uh, mo- modest show, and they're moving it to Paramount Plus. Um, you know, you know, uh, uh, you know. ABC is considering a couple of other uh, modest dramas like For Life, another show that I had the privilege of working on, uh, and they're and they're talking about moving that to Hulu. So what is natural, and it's my understanding that Rob's already working on, is taking some of these more um, you know, experimental new formats. So a show, you know, it didn't get renewed, but I'll, I'll give it an example. A show like Don't, okay, was ambitious, um, decently executed, decently rated, um, but wasn't successful enough. So a show like Don't, and it came from uh, producers that really hadn't had a lot of history, Um but but that's that's the kind of a show that on a Hulu could be could be fine. You look at what's working in the unscripted area in streaming. You look at a show like Floor Floor is Lava. You look at um you know, a show um like the Project Runway um spinoff that's on Amazon that I can't even think of uh the name of it. So what are these shows have in common? They're more ambitious. They're, they're different. They're aimed at a, a, a generation that, frankly, you're a lot closer to than me. And they don't have to succeed with mass audiences because, again, it's not about the ratings. It's about the subscription. And we know that they're going to have a finite history. Okay? They don't have to be shows that renew. But if they do, then they're cheap enough and disposable enough. And what Game Show Network proves is that a library of these kind of shows will have value in perpetuity.
0: I, so, was, uh, I was actually, now that you're talking about that, uh, I was thinking to myself, this new version of To Tell the Truth with Anthony Anderson, there's no money at all. There's none. I mean, all all of this is four celebrities just trying to guess and uh, –
1: it's actually, it, yeah. it, it, it's actually it's actually it's actually three now because of social distancing. Oh, okay. Uh, no, no, but here's but you bring up a perfect example. Okay, so and, and and I can't tell you how many times I've had this almost virulent debate with uh, purists, and I would say another show that falls into this category is Supermarket Suite. Oh yeah. Um, you know, look, Leslie Jones is is polarizing. Okay, I know. A lot of people like her, and I know a hell of a lot of game show purists that think she's an anathema, okay? but Literally, the woman screams her way through the show. You know what? The the ratings are strong. The African-American audience loves her, and it got renewed. And it got renewed in the same pickup as as Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, which could not be any more different and traditional with a 70-something white man as the host and the format almost identical to the way it was in 1975. So, you know what? I don't think there's any sort of playbook that says you need to be completely reverent to something just because it's what a purist would do. There is, there is, it is an esoteric argument. Um, so, you know, I think that there's, um, there's room for something new, as long as you're willing to embrace change. Okay. To me, I don't think there's any room for anybody to think that there's a get off my lawn approach to anything because, Technology is, 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 is rampant. I think what's happened with the fact that no studio audiences are now being used, and frankly, even with you know, you know uh, changes uh, that will happen, for the most part, there's no need to have them back. I mean, if The Price is Right can be successfully produced without a studio audience, and the impact on ratings marginal... Why? Other than just the fact that people fans like fans like going to to television city and making and, and making a trip out of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's just bring back those cardboard cutouts.
1: Oh, I don't. I'll, oh, go God, don't don't go there. Please don't go there. <laughs> <It's>
0: okay. <laughs> cardboard cutout audience. Yeah, the kind of like Conan did. Oh.
1: Uh, all, all I'll relate to your fans is that um, and it's actually a game show producer named Bert Schrodinger who has uh, uh, front row seats at Dodger Stadium with his wife, Mary Hart. And they put a cardboard cutout of the two of them, and they never bothered to even think of shuffling the cards. So every home game last year, all you saw were Zombie Bert and Zombie Mary staring at you every time they showed um a a pitch coming into home plate. And the reality is is that they never went to that many games when you know, as as human beings. Yeah.
0: No, I I I agree with you. That, I mean, it is the creepiest thing you could ever imagine.
1: I mean shuffle the damn cards. Not The same people don't show up behind but in the same seat every single game, even the season ticket holders. Shuffle the cards. Anyway, thank God we don't have to deal with that anymore. I'm actually going to the game today, and I'm going to be sitting in a fully vaccinated, socially distanced area, which is a euphemism for it's a smaller crowd, and I can get out of the parking lot quicker. <laughs>
0: what are the Dodgers now going to do without Larry King?
1: That means his seat's available, so fine.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the
1: Dodgers—they the Dodgers, survive Don Rickles. They survive Larry King. They're going to survive Tommy Lasorda. The Dodgers will be fine. And if and as Larry King's seat becomes available, and God willing, I can make some, I, I can make a couple of bucks off this podcast. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll sit in there. Do it,
0: do it. Be be the Larry King of today.
1: Uh, why would you want to do that? Why would I want nine? Why would
0: I want nine wives? That's not bad. That's not a bad impression, there, Stephen.
1: No, all you gotta do is just, it's just get a little lemon in your voice. And then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah don't, 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 don't get me to do my Anthony Fauci. That's a, uh, that's a whole nother one. Okay, well,
0: we'll we'll save that one for another time, Ben.
1: Thank you, thank you. Save it it, it for the second episode,
0: okay? Second episode, all right, you got it. (laughs) Well, anyway, Stephen, I want to also talk about one other thing going along with the summer fun and games, Mm because they have some of the weirdest hosts, I'll tell you that. It seems like they just give game shows to anybody, because one thing I saw was Snoop Dogg hosting The Joker's Wild. Mm.
1: Okay. Uh, I want to go back real quick because I, um, you know, you mentioned to tell the truth, and I never did did uh, respond to that. So, look, to tell the truth is another one that a purist says Anthony Anderson and God love her Mama Doris yes are, are making Kitty Carlyle turn over her grave. Absolutely. And, and, and here's all I'm going to say on that. Okay. Now I never knew Kitty Carlyle, respectfully, but I know the kind of person she was, particularly when she was performing well into her nineties. And it comes back to the same thing I was just saying, which is embrace change. Is he? Is he Bud Collier? Is he Gary Moore? Is he even John O'Hurley? No. No. But he works. The show is very serviceable. It doesn't have to adhere to the format of the of, of, of a nineteen fifties panel show. By the way, when you look at it, because it is not being played for a dime, uh, you know, it's not a game show. No. It's 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 a couple of celebrities playing two lies and a tr- you know, you know, you know, you know, two lies and a truth. Which is something that you know, you know millennials have been doing online, you know, you know for the last decade, and that's and that's what the show is, and it's fine. Um, you know, so uh, you know, going back to your choices of of, 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 of hosts, okay, so Snoop Dogg, okay, I was involved with that with that show as well, the Sony property. I'll give you a little bit of history with that real quick. So, Joker's is a show that, um, if you look at it as a, you know, franchise, it was an okay show. It was never, you know, for a couple of years, it was a rating success, but it was an old show then. It's disposable, but everybody remembers it. So what is, why, why is Snoop such an obvious choice? Well, go back to when Snoop hosted The Price is Right. Um, Snoop, um, what he called, uh, talked about how he grew up with his grandmother watching the show. Snoop did Pyramids um, with Martha Stewart the first season. (laughs) Snoop was great, frankly. Uh, the of then did what I think one of the funniest promos ever, because they each described words in their own category. And if you know Martha at all, Martha is not exactly um, a choir girl. Uh, no. Martha smoked. Here's the thing: Martha smoked her share of weed, and Snoop has done his share of gourmet cooking. The Snoop ain't poor. So you put these you, you put these people together, it was magic. So what happens is. The same, you know, you know Snoop, Snoop also has common management to uh, Michael, uh, you know, Michael Strahan in, in the TV world. So, you know, talking about, you know, Snoop loves game shows. Snoop says, my, yeah, my favorite show was when they went Joker, Joker, and a triple. The same producer, Vinny Rubino, winds up doing it. And I'll, I'll say this much. You look at that show aesthetically. It was reverent. It was exactly what we were talking about. Yeah. It is a supersized, modernized version of, 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 of the original 70s chase-like set. You know, from Hollywood, here's the game where knowledge is king and lady luck is queen. Okay? Were there too many pot jokes? Probably. Okay? That's Turner's problem. Turner, all the executives at Turner that insisted upon that are no longer with the company. Okay. Yeah. Did they did did they screw it up by uh, moving it from network to network? Absolutely. Was the show not the same as it was back in the day? No, it was not. I personally thought it was better. I I I, I thought it was contemporary. I thought Snoop, for a guy who had never done MC, was very, very good, and again, why would Snoop be good? Well, number one, he loves he loves the genre, okay? Number two, he loves people. And if you think about it, he actually was a better host in terms of relating to people than Jack Barry was. Jack Barry, if you look at enough of his work, and people who knew him will, will confirm this – Jack Barry was a condescending elitist, and I'll defer to your audience to fill in in the adjective. Okay? Jack was a a con.
0: Yeah, I was going to... So I wanted to just give some information on Jack real quick. Jack got in trouble quite a bit. And... uh, as did uh, a producer, I think of his, who worked for him, who went up to Canada.
1: Mr. Mr. Enright, well, well, well. All you need to do is, is see the movie Quiz Show and see the two of them. Now look, um, yeah, they both they both paid dearly. They both took advantage of a system that didn't say you couldn't do it. And look, look, Dan, the documentary that. Quiz show was derived upon. Dan was dying of cancer. And he literally took that opportunity to, like, do his penance. Yeah. So if you listen to him, he said, what we did was wrong. I don't excuse it, nor do I condone it. But bear in mind that television of the 1950s was driven by ad agencies. Okay? The reason that you have those onset logos for Geritol and for Stop at Deodorant was because the time was purchased by ad agencies. Yeah. Ad agencies only cared about one thing selling their product. They had no real interest in what kind of show it was or whether or not it was scripted or unscripted. Okay? So when the when the agencies and the and the sponsors said make the show better or else it's canceled there was nothing that any of the producers did that they knew was wrong it became a an issue when the american public learned about it okay
0: yeah
1: and that is what caused the investigation—that's what caused the congressional hearings, and that's ultimately what led to the Van Doren, you know, uh, fallout. Everything like that. America was duped. It wasn't illegal; it was immoral. So the fact that the fact that Barry and Enright had to, had lost their company for a good ten years, you know, and look, neither one of them was poor. But no. they you know, but they they paid, you know. You know, having to slip up to Canada to do shows on a fraction of the budget after you've produced the number one show in television for years, you know, it's it's humbling. The difference between Jack and Dan, and knowing at least Dan as I did, is that you know Dan was humbled in later life, okay? Dan really felt a moral compass need to atone. I don't know Jack well. I didn't know Jack well enough, but everybody I know that knew him said he never got to that point. He got his second chance, and he became even more of a jerk doing so. Mm -hmm. So getting back to our friend Snoop, yeah. Here's a guy who loves the genre, was only attached to talent. God knows he didn't need the money. But I was in the studio for many of those tapings. I saw his energy. I saw the energy of the people around him, the contestants, the audience, the way it was set in like that, you know, Las Vegas nightclub setting. I I, I defy anybody other than a stick in the mud to say that Did it work? No, but it didn't work for reasons that have nothing to do with uh, that. That, that, that have nothing with execution. It has nothing to do with execution. It's nothing to do with 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 was he was he, was he a competent host or not? And you know, respectfully, I think what happens when you deal with people who are passionate about a genre is that you, know, you, know, you look at some people like, like the Golden Road uh, bloggers you know, who still can't get over the fact that Drew Carey uh, is, is doing The prices Right. And I think ways for Bob Barker to somehow at 96 years old get you know, the physical strength and the fountain of youth to come back and do the show one more time. Well, guess what? He did it when he was 90, you got your wish. Monty did it when he was 90. You got your wish. Okay? <laughs> people, people die. People, people move on. Yes. Formats endure. And time has to change. You can't do... What you can do is be reverent. What you can't be is sheepish. And I think there's a lesson that you can learn for life as well, which is evolve, evolve or literally die. And I think what the successful shows of this time have done is that they've done exactly that.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, I think that this is, that's the lesson to, to take away from here. Time evolves, people evolve, and I guess hosts do too. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 I mean, I, 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 you, know, you, know, you know, again, um, you know, I'm aware of what, you know, a little bit of what went behind the scenes at College Bowl, okay? Yeah. Now, is Peyton Manning, Robert Earl, or Alan Ludden? Hell no, he's not. No. Okay? Yeah. Alan, Ludden, Alan Ludden couldn't throw a 60-yard spiral, okay? But what I've seen and what I know of Peyton Manning is that he is a competent question reader. He is an engaging personality. And he plays to the college audience of 2021. The audience, the contestants that were on in the 1960s wore suits. They had crew cuts, and they were uh, 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 and they were in academic fraternities. Go on a college campus these days and 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 show me what uh, you know what what the most successful students look like. Okay. Yeah. Well, they're certainly not wearing suits. Even even at Harvard, there there's certainly not, you know, people that look like geeks. They're they're in all likelihood people that are starting up, uh, you know, startup companies and already worth millions of dollars before they even graduate. Okay, <laughs> yeah. that's that's Peyton Manning, and so you know anybody who thinks that the show can't work because it's Insulting to have somebody to have a jock as the host, you know. Again, it's it's if it if it works, it'll work because it appeals today. If it doesn't work, it's not going to be because we didn't we 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 didn't somehow dredge dredge up Art Fleming, you know. Uh, you, know you, you know. You know. To, you know. To, you know. You to, know to, to do it again. It's not like it's not like you know we didn't you know think about you know Dick Cavett Dick Cavett is 85 years old and he's you know uh, you know and God and, and you know and God bless him he's in, he 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 he's in good health but he's not the guy that you want doing doing a franchise today so you know you know it it, it 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 you know you know if i get overly passionate about this it's because you know I'm somebody who is fortunate enough to be at a an age and a experience where I have a lot of, um, um, you know, respect and uh, experience with classic formats, okay? You know, I, I remember them when they were on the air. I remember, you know, the nuances of shows that, you know, many of which don't survive anymore. I was fortunate enough to have met a number of these folks while they were still alive. The, you know, the creators, the Goodsons, the Bob Stewart's. Uh, you know the dead end rights people like that, so I can speak I think with some degree with some degree of authority um, and I think what gets lost sometimes is you know old school is not necessarily the best school and i would I would urge anybody who's who's listening to this to kind of just take that uh you know you, you know you know to heart because I think the more that we can you know, appreciate what other people are capable of doing, the more that, uh, you know, other generations are capable of doing, the more I think we're going to be, you know, doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, it should be interesting to see some of the new shows that uh, will be coming out and uh, can't wait to see that.
1: Well, I think, I I think, I think you're going to be very, 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 very surprised.
0: (laughs) well, I will keep that in mind so well uh stephen thank you so much for coming on back to the program i'm uh I'm happy to have you ha- have you back on
1: well i appreciate it my friend uh it was it was uh it, it it was a pleasure to be able to to be a part of this and uh i appreciate uh it and i will tell you that i am launching my own website which will include uh You know, a lot of uh, uh, similar uh, thoughts and riffs to this. Uh, It's going to be called LeBlanguage, Uh, L-E-B-L-A-N-G-U-A-G-E. And it should be launching um, in the next couple of weeks. So by the time somebody gets around to hearing this, uh, you might be able to uh, land on it. And I think uh, game show fans in particular might be surprised by some of the uh, uh, surprises that we have
0: wow well i'm I'm waiting in in angst to to see it then because I will be the first there
1: everybody everybody has a podcast, everybody has a website. Why not me?
0: Why not absolutely why not so uh well, Stephen, thank you so much for your time sir
1: thank you sir. thank you for the time, my friend
0: Yes, sir, thank you. Thank you for listening to the great Scott podcast. We hope you enjoyed. You can find Michael at Instagram at the great scott podcast you can also find his website by typing in michael the we hope you enjoy thank you